Matthew 18, verse 15, reads like this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Can I just say that I've, you know, I've been a Christian for more than half my life now, which is kind of crazy. That just means I'm getting old, because I didn't grow up in a Christian household, so I'm just getting old. Got the gray hairs improving, all right? But, like, I have seen this text abused and then even taken out of context. And, and you know, hopefully, if you're one of those people who, like, you're like, I know this verse. I've been ready for this church to talk. Let me just say that you may not like what you're about to hear, and that's cool. Uh, the purpose of this is restoration by any means. So it starts off and he says, if your brother sins against you, go to him alone. And if he listens, you gain your brother. And so there's this clear process that's laid out and it's layered. It's intentional. It's elaborate. And the purpose of it is gaining your brother. The purpose of it is having a relationship restored. We know that to be the case because it's sandwiched between two parables. The first parable talks about this sheep that's lost, and it says that if if somebody has 99 sheep, 100 sheep, and 99 are good, but one is gone, won't you go out and go get that one that's gone? And if you find it, won't you rejoice? And it brings out this idea that the same way that you will rejoice, there is infinitely more rejoicing in heaven when someone who is lost is restored back to the fold. So, so it, it's, it's prefaced by this radical rejoicing that takes place when restoration actually happens. You get this process. But then at the back end of it, Peter, he's like, all right, God, so that's, that's pretty intense. Restoration by any means, <coughs> but it's a restoration for anybody. And so he asked this question. He's like, yo, so Jesus... Let's say that my brother keeps sinning against me. How many times should I forgive him? And Jesus is like 70 times 7 plus, 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 let's go. And then he goes out and he tells another parable of, of, about this servant who was wicked. He had this huge debt on him. He goes to his master because he can't pay it back. And he's essentially at the mercy of his master. And his master's like, you're clear. You're clear. Now, the rest of that parable is that servant goes and finds somebody who doesn't owe them a lot, and he starts to try to get what they owe from them. And, and it's crazy, but what he's bringing out is this, the level of mercy that's necessary for restoration to take place, but also the length we 
translation to take place. Seventy times seven for anybody. That you will extend mercy and stretch it out as long and far as possible. So this that's so you have this radical rejoicing with restoration, then you have this almost this extravagant mercy and this extravagant extending of another chance that buttress or surround this process. The purpose is restoration by any means necessary. So many implications behind that, but the purpose is pretty straightforward that I will go the extra mile so that we can be good again. <coughs> purpose is restoration by any means necessary, but there's some peculiars. There's some peculiars in here. Uh, notice, notice this. It, it starts off, it says, if your brother, if your brother, now that's interesting, if your brother, it's peculiar because it assumes a level of relational intimacy. Now, let me, let me explain like this. If you grew up watching Rick and Morty, Blue's Clues, Bob's Burgers, all right, Doc McStuffin, all that, you are a digital native. And if your children are growing up watching Paw Patrol, PJ Masks, like they're digital natives as well. And they were born with smartphones in their hands. And so if you're a digital native, you understand that there's a nuance to this word that it used to mean something, now means something else. That word is called troll, right? You know what a troll is? Everybody knows what a troll is? A troll is somebody who goes out and seeks after, like, quarrels and arguing. Usually you find these people in social media spaces where they be all in people's mentions and comments, and it's like, I don't even know you. Why are you all in my DM? You know what I mean? That's a troll. But trolls don't just exist in the digital space. They exist everywhere. And what he's getting at is, don't be that troll. Because trolls, what you start to see with trolls is, they have no relational connection with you, but they assume a level of relational intimacy, and then they start arguing as if they know you. I'm like, my G, we don't know each other. Does that make sense? And so what he's getting at is like, yo, yo, you don't need to be that person who walks around like a sin investigator, where you're like, yo, this broken, I'm just going to find every broken relationship, and I'm going to Matthew 18 them. It's like, my, man, that's crazy. But can I say, I've seen that even here. It's like, yo, do you know, bro? You don't know? Then why are you coming at them like you know them? You're doing more harm than good. So, so what's peculiar is the assumption of relational intimacy would lead to a, a, a little application, which is, don't feed the trolls and don't be a troll. All right, let me just go and say that. Like, don't feed that. If, so, if you know somebody is constantly doing that, they, they seem very quarrelsome, like, don't give them that type of energy or space where they can continue to fan the flames of discord. Don't feed them. And definitely don't be them. But it's interesting. So, so that's one aspect to me that's peculiar is brother, family, relational, intimacy, and connection assumed. But then that, that next part, notice what he says. He says, if your brother 
sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. This is peculiar and, and quite scary, if I must. He says this. If somebody wrongs you, you don't wait for them to figure it out. You go to them proactively. They hurt you, but you don't linger in that hurt. You go to them. And this absolutely roots out the root of bitterness and gossip, too. Because when you're hurt, you become loose with your words. Such and such did X to me, such and such did Y to me. Well, have you talked to such and such? Nah, I'm not ready yet. My heart's not right yet. What do you mean your heart? You mean you just want to keep talking about it. Right? <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, right? But he, he says you proactively push through what's hard and you initiate restoration. It, it, it moves against and away from this mindset that people are just going to figure it out. And I'm just going to throw out all of these nonverbals and you're going to catch it. Ain't nobody psychic. No psychics in the world. All right. And so people actually need words to interpret what's going on. And so even the most intuitive among us, we don't know if you're just having a bad day or if we're really beefing. Does that make sense? This is huge because by doing so, he's inviting people to step into the space of Jesus. So Revelation 13 is very interesting. Revelation 13, 8, there's this, it's very subtle, but it talks about the worship of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And so what it clues us into is that there was a time before time. The way the scriptures speak of that is they call it eternity past. That there was this moment before time, if you can even use moment, but there was this existence before time where it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit enjoying one another, not in need of everything, in perfect community, fully God, and in their enjoyment of each other, the enjoyment of this divine relationship, they embark on this journey of creation where their joy will spill out into the world we see now. They created, let there be. And in this embarking of creation, they knew what would happen, which would be that the crown of creation, humans, you, me, we would rebel against our creator. We would reject life on his terms. We would live in this distorted autonomy where we want the ultimate right to rule, that we could set the trajectory of our lives as we please, we would rebel, committing treason. And that that rebellion would create separation. And that separation would not just exist in time, but it would carry over into eternity, future, away from him. And knowing this, seeing this, he still chose to create with love in his heart. Knowing this, seeing this, he had a plan that predated let there be. And it was a plan to rescue, to make provision for those who would run away. It's the gospel. That, can you see the picture of this conversation? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Chilling. Man, we're about to create. What you going to create? I'm going to create some fish, y'all. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. 
They're going to cook it one day, and it's going to be great. I'm going to create humans. Oh, man, let's make them in our own image so they're like us, that they reflect something unique about us. Man, they're going to go away. They're going to be tempted, and they're going to commit treason. But, man, we're going to love them. And to make a way back, one of us is going to have to die. Son, will you do it? And Jesus is like, absolutely. I will die for these people who will betray me. And every moment from let there be was divine pursuit of restoration and relationship. Very proactive. Not waiting for people to be aware of him. Not waiting for people to have this awareness of their fault. But him saying, the relationship matters so much so that I will go whatever way to make sure that it's maintained. And so when he says, if your brother sins against you, which probably should be when your brother sins against you, you go to them individually. You go to them. And if you actually do that, you are stepping in divine footprints. It's beautiful. It's peculiar. These, these peculiars emphasize the depths that are associated with what he's calling us to do, which is to be proactive peacemakers, proactively pursuing relationships and restoration when they are broken. No exemptions. Let me say something, and then we move to the process. That last part is very challenging. To be a victim of somebody else's brokenness, yet to not sit or stew in it, but take a step forward. And that's that's just tough, right? Can I just, is that hard? But here's what I would just caution against for us is that we would lower the bar of pursuing restoration because it's difficult. And so what we'll do is we will make what is inherently supernatural easy by lowering the bar. So we'll be like, you know what? Sure, I'll take a step. But the step I'm going to take is I'm going to really just show them how I feel. I'm going to not smile at them. (laughs) That's stupid. But we do stupid things. Just lower the bar. Yeah, I'm going to take a step, but really, I'm only going to call them, and it's going to ring twice, and then I'm hanging up. <laughs> right? And then you could be like, yo, check your call on. I reached out to you, my chief. You ain't slick. You know what I mean? Like, but but if, we, if we lower the bar of pursuing restoration, Everyone suffers. And you may win in the moment, but we will lose in the end. Because we'll make it easier for the here and now, but it's going to be harder to actually try to bridge that gap in the future. And so let me just even caution caution against that. I know that this is a hard step, and it, it often is the hardest. But man, it's taken by a heart that says, I actually want this. I want this relationship restored. All right, on to the process. 
very straightforward process. Let's take it bit by bit and um, apply it and bring out why there's an order to it. So the first step of this process of restoration. So purpose, restoration by any means, the peculiars assume relationship, but not just assume relationship, elevate the relationship by saying there should be some level of value there that leads to proactivity in my pursuit. And now when there's brokenness, when there's an issue, when I've been wronged against, step one is to bring it to the individual individually. It's to go to him or her and put your hand on their shoulder, hit them with that shoulder tap. Hey, man, we have to have a conversation. That's step one. Bring it to the individual individually. The reason is you don't ever want to lead into or lead with anything that could feel like shame. They may not know. So you just go into it and it's like, man, I really don't know if you knew what you did, but let's kind of work through what happened and how it affected me. Bring it to the individual, individually, step one. Step two is what it says. Again, it's pretty straightforward. Step two, he says this. If he doesn't listen, so it's like, yeah, I, I disagree. I think you're wrong. Man, I just think that you're in your feelings, Trey, right? You know, so like, he says, step two. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Let me spend a little time here. He says, step two is bring witnesses. It's not bring accusers. There's a difference. So uh, I think it was probably like about two and a half weeks ago, maybe three. I was hanging with Corey uh, and we were chatting. And uh, we, were, we were just, you know, we were just kicking it. And uh, we were talking about how our, how our wives, how they go to like Target, uh, you know, for one thing. But then it turns into like an expedition. Like, I mean, like they go in there and they become like Indiana Jones, just like looking for treasure. Right. Yeah, and so like, but we were like, man, but we like it, though, because we would prefer Target over Walmart. And then he said this thing, man, that just kind of resonated with me. He's like, man. I don't like who I am in Walmart. Like, I don't like who Walmart makes me out to be. And I was like, yo, bro, I feel that. Like, when I'm in Walmart, yo, like, I'm a little bit more cranky. Like, you know what I mean? I'm short with my words. I'm a little bit more hostile. And if you work at Walmart, that's no shade. I used to work at Walmart as well. Sophomore year in college, I worked overnight shift. And something was happening to me when I was working at Walmart. Because I was like, I'm just ready to quit. But... We know that there's certain environments that activate something inside of us. They pull something from us. You know what else we know? There's not just certain environments that do that. There's certain people. Right? So there's, you have within your Rolodex of relationships, you have your turn up crew. You have your holy crew. Right? You have, I'm, I'm usually in that crew, so I'm, nobody <laughs> wants to turn over me. You have your, <laughs> you have your gossip crew. You have your knock if your buck crew. Yes? We have, have them. Thank you for being honest. And you know who you call depending on the time. If it's turn up, if it's man, we need to go like Bible study and like fast. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
my bad, yo. Nah. Shout out to uh, that city group that's been fasting, by the way. Shout out. Shout out to y'all. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to y'all fast. Holy and on to the Lord. But so you know, you know who you call depending on the circumstance. And what is normal is when you see this step of bringing enough two or three witnesses, you go to the gossip crew. The people who are going to be like, oh, for sure. They did what to you? Girl, you know he, he did. They may shift into that nugget. If you broke, like, we don't even have a conversation. We need a, you know what I mean? And what happens is you create this atmosphere of accusation. But this witnesses idea, it, it goes back to Deuteronomy. The witnesses aren't necessarily for you. They're witnesses of truth and grace. So they're not coming so that they can be on your side. They're coming so they can be on the side of restoration, on the side of what's true, on the side of grace to be able to say, actually, my brother, I know you said this affected you some way. But as we're talking this thing out, as we're experiencing some level of mediation and conflict resolution, bro, you are wrong here because they're not on your side. They're on the side of truth. They're a witness, not an accuser. Does that make sense? So this isn't just grab your mama and dad or whoever fits in your category. This is, man, there's a legitimate situation here. And I need the truth and grace to determine the outcome. Let me grab somebody who's capable about helping that end come to me. Bring two or three. If that doesn't work, you get to this, 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 this final step. He says, well, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So many implications here. The first implication is pretty obvious. It's just, it doesn't carry a lot of weight in our world right now. The first implication is that there's actually a committed group of people that you bring this to. That there's actually a body, a local community. Implied in that is that they know each other. We actually have an example of, we have multiple examples of this. But we have one example in the book of Philippians. Very fascinating. Everybody talks about Philippians as being primarily about joy and it's there. But then you get to the end and he's like, oh, by the way, make sure that Syndicate and Yodia get along. Church in Philippi. As you're pursuing joy, make sure that these two ladies who are beefing with each other come together in unity. So it assumes locality. It assumes a defined people that you can be committed to, that you know. Take it to the church. It assumes a level of vulnerability amongst those people that they're a safe space. It assumes that that Community is attractive enough, is mature enough that they can actually intervene in the most tricky and difficult of circumstances. Take it to the church. Now here's why this doesn't have the weight it should be or should have. Because we're not committed like that. We're transient. I don't know if you're going to be here next week, next year, right? That's how we approach relationships. And so we are so guarded and so slow 
with building relational intimacy that we don't even have to root for vulnerability, which makes it easier to just leave when real life happens. And because there's a church everywhere, it's a buffet in America. You're like, I'm, oh, such and such, you did what to me? Oh, I'm going to X place. Really, because I'm trying to find a spouse there anyway. But not only that, but because I've had the conversations. And I'm going to bring them back here and they're going to get discipled. I'm like, how does that work? Like, how does that work? All right. But anyway, that was a holy pastoral rant. All right. But I'm going to go over there because such and such isn't there. And it's a lot easier. So take it to the church. It assumes a level of commitment among the people. It assumes this idea of the table, fellowship, relationship, intimacy, eating together. The reason it assumes that idea is because he says, if, if there's a hardness of, of heart that even allows them to reject this larger community, then you, you remove something from them. You remove the table. You remove that intimacy. But here's the thing. It's not you remove that intimacy to make them pay. You remove that intimacy so that they see what they're missing. <laughs> it's hard to miss what you never had. Though. So oftentimes we see people do stuff like this. and They use this and they, they step into what is known as excommunicating where they say, hey guys, we're going to remove relationship from you guys. We're going to remove a level of affirmation from you guys. And people are like, cool. Because they actually never had something that was worth holding on to. I've been convinced that we should spend more time building tables people want to sit at than trying to force them to sit at the table. If that makes sense. Take it to the church. That's the process. Essentially, Maybe they can be a mediating body. But even if you do so and they don't respond, in separation or removal, the goal is still relationship and restoration. Paul brings this out in 2 Corinthians when he, there's this church that actually did this. And in 2 Corinthians, he's like, yo, man, like I know that y'all, y'all removed this relationship, but yo, reaffirm your love. Let that dude back in. Chapter two, pitfalls, then close. So purpose, restoration by any means. The assumptions are that there's actually intimacy, that there's a value to this relationship. The process is you 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 bring it to the individual individually, just you and them. You bring witnesses, not accusers, not people who can validate you, but people who can validate what's true and can be an instrument of grace. That doesn't work. You bring it to the church. That maybe the collective body can produce an environment where the truth and grace flourishes and the relationship is restored. But even if you do that process, there's some pitfalls that you must be aware of, that we must do everything within our power to avoid. The first two are assumptions. First pitfall is an assumption of motive. And so you're just, you're assuming that somebody is coming at you sideways, that they meant to hurt me. And if you have an assumption on their motive, you interact with them a particular way. 
The next is an assumption of the solution. That you come in ready, locked and loaded with what needs to take place and how this bad boy is going to be brought back to wholeness as opposed to coming in and saying, let's talk and let's figure this thing out. Assumptions. The next pitfall, not an assumption, it's something that's crazy, which is an unrealistic condition. Now, the reality is people have used this and they've used the truth of biblical community to force people to stay in relationships that are hurtful and harmful. No, if you're in an abusive relationship, you get out. You go. Okay? And once you go, there should be conditions for that person to earn the right to be in relationship with you again. Counseling, licensed and pastoral. Some time apart where they feel something. They feel what was lost. So it isn't immediate. is isn't we just jump back in and nothing ever happened. But we don't put all these unrealistic expectations. So it's like, yeah, yeah, if we're going to be back again, you need to be debt free. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just, this is a real conversation. This is crazy. Like, like, that's not, you put unrealistic conditions. And when you do that, it's a pitfall because the reality is you're just trying to use everything in your power to make sure that this relationship can never be back again. The last pitfall is, is to me, is the, is the hardest. Fatigue in the process. So it's not just assuming the motives, theirs or ours. It's not just assuming solutions. It's not just these unrealistic conditions. It's fatigue in the process. Where it's like, I'm good. I'm tired. I don't have the energy. Whether it's in the beginning, in the middle, or towards the end. And so because I'm fatigued, I just stop. I give up. Earlier I said that we should have lowered the bar for pursuing restored relationships. Part of the reason is when we do that, like we lose stamina to fight. It takes a level of spiritual stamina to pursue broken relationships being made back home. <clears throat> and the source of that stamina is not inside of us. It's outside of us. It's the love of God. That's why there's this one book in the Bible, a book we don't really like to talk about. There's a lot of books we really don't like to talk about in the Bible, but there's this one that we really don't talk about at all. It's this book called Hosea. And in this book, God goes to this man and he says, yo, like, I want you to take on an adulterous wife, and she is going to continue to break this relationship. But I want you to do something, Hosea 3.1. And the Lord said to me, go again. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin, you go again. And the reason he says go again is because he is trying to model what Jesus does, which is he goes again. A thousand times I failed. Your mercy remains. You go again. 
So much so that you even get to the end of Hosea, uh, Hosea 11, 8, and it says, How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zoboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. So I go again because love is war. It's a bloody fight. And when things are hard, when it is broken, I will fight for you. I go again. I do not lose fatigue in the process. I, I, I get stamina and I keep going again and again and again because it's the gospel. That's why it ends with that statement of prayer that's often abused. But in the context of restoration, it's powerful because it's saying, I can't by the strength of my hands, by the wit of my mind, by ingenuity or charisma, I can't fix this. But where I can't, God can. And even where I can, God can better. So I pray. And because I've brought it to the church, because we've gotten to that point, we pray. And we're two or more are saying, God, we need resurrection power. There's faith. So we close like this. Right now, who are the people who have sinned against you? They have hurt you. They have violated the relationship. Who are they? Get them in your mind. And let's pray for them right now. Hear me. If we underestimate prayer, we undermine power. We underestimate prayer. We undermine power. So get them in your mind as hard as it may be and begin praying and then I'll close us in prayer.